What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com, and I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. In this episode, we have Kate Sanford and Tim Strito. They're going to be talking to us about editing Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Now, we're going to talk about comedy timing, as well as some of the ins and outs of the new season. So be sure to be caught up on Marvelous Mrs. Maisel before we get started. With all that said, here's my interview with Kate and Tim. I guess to start off, let's talk about how you guys got involved with with Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Well, Kate and I have worked together for years um, on four different shows. Um, The first one we worked on together were the five seasons of Boardwalk Empire. Um, And one of the producers on that is Dana Gilbert, who's um, our producer on this show. And so um, she reached out to us after they had shot the pilot. Kate and I don't really work as a team, but I, you know, we alternate episodes uh, generally. You know, I think they knew we worked well together and that we were kind of versatile and, and strong. And so she wanted to bring us in. Um, and so we met with Dan and Amy and they hired us. <laughs> as, as a team, like you guys went in together and met with them or individually or? No, individually. But I think it was sort of, um, I, yeah, actually, I don't know. I don't know that if it was ever an option for one of us instead of the other, you know, I don't know. Well, probably if one of us had decided that it, this wasn't the job for us, if we didn't like it or something, because the pilot had already been completed. So we had the unique opportunity to watch the entire pilot mm-hmm. and really make an assessment about whether we wanted to come on board and we knew what the show was going to be. And even though we alternate episodes and we don't work specifically as a team on one episode side by side, we did discuss it because we had worked together before and we, we, and we're friends. So we talked about like, what do you think? Would this be fun? And we decided it would be a lot of fun mm-hmm. and, um, and it would be something really different. Well, and the pilot was cut by Brian Kate. So did you guys uh, reach out to him and discuss it? Like, what was that kind of discussion like to make sure you got on the same page? I called Brian. I don't, I don't know if you did separately, Tim, but I, I called Brian or maybe I reported back to you. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure, but I feel I, like I did talk to him, but I, I don't I don't remember just over the course of our in yeah. our film editor community in New York. I, I think I did talk to him at one point about it. But yeah, yeah. I mean, one one question I had was, you know, how is the collaboration? Because um, that's always what I wh- one thing that's really important to me is how are the people, you know, people you're going to be spending 10 or 12 hours sometimes in a room with, how are they to work with? And Brian said he loves Amy. I mean, he they had a wonderful collaboration and I really trust him. His and his judgment and his social skills are great. And so we decided to go ahead. Season three, you know, comes to this, you know, ending. I don't know. I don't want to give away the ending, but um, everything sort of builds up to that. So I'm wondering how you guys worked throughout the season and particularly that last episode to sort of bring everything to that culmination. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's, I think we're beyond spoilers. This the show has been out for a long time. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the, 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 the arc of the season is the tour with Shy Baldwin and, um, and the opportunities that that gives Midge to perform in front of much bigger crowds, so much more exposure than she'd had before, um, along with the sort of fun and exotic, you know, travel that she's kind of unwittingly exposed to the danger of knowing a celebrity intimately and knowing one of their secrets that they don't want to get out. And um, I think that 
the audience is equally surprised, you know, as she is in that last scene. And, and so to have a closeted gay celebrity was not a surprise for the audience necessarily at this time. But I think that um, she would, you know, be cut loose based on something that she saw as innocent um, was, was what we were trying to build towards with the last scene. And I think it worked. Well, and one of the things I've noticed in season three, I don't know, I'd have to rewatch season one and two. It felt like there was more camera movements. So instead of, you know, cutting in for the close-up, the camera would push in for the close-up. Was that the case? And and how did you work with this change? Well, we, I mean, we always want to play into the strength of what the camera department and the directors have designed. And I think as they go forward, they want, they, they are designing more ambitious shots and our Steadicam operators are willing to, I don't know, create even um, new hardware that will accommodate the kinds of crazy things that Amy and Dan want to do, whether it's just, you know, going, going through a doorway with our characters and then craning up and then coming back down and around to the other side, they found a way to do this with a combination of, you know, handheld Steadicam kind of rigs that attach to magnets back onto the crane. We love to um, to cut that stuff and we'll try to stay in those shots as long as possible unless there's a problem. And, and there are some very fancy and wonderful shots, many of them in Tim's episodes, um, especially episode five, where you go to the Cuban club and that's pretty spectacular. In other seasons too, and I, I remember the there, there were some spectacular things. The beginning of season two starts in B. Altman, goes through the department store, follows the letter down, and mm -hmm. we mentioned we find her in the switchboard. So that wasn't technically all one shot, but it was created through stitching together various shots and visual effects to create the idea of one shot. So they continue to try to push the boundaries of literally what's possible. Yeah. I mean, I think in a lot of cases with those uh, oners, they're often set to music. The music is determined sort of beforehand. Um, and I think that they can feel when they're shooting it, if there's a place where there's a lag, um, you know, in, in episode five, as Kate was saying, when they're, when they come into the Fountain Blue Hotel, uh, at the beginning, there was a moment where it, it, the camera, you know, it was on a steady cam, it went onto a crane, then came off the crane back into a study and then crossed the lobby. And when it got to the end, it was passed over the sort of counter where they were checking in and they couldn't, it slowed down there in a way that they, they all, the camera, you know, Amy, everybody was just like, let's figure out a different way into this scene at the desk. And so they then in the moment kind of came and had this shot of Midge walking up and then Susie slides in the frame and it was really funny. And, you know, they, they came up with another shot to sort of add into it. You don't really feel that, that there's something lacking in the, in the one or it's just like, that's how it kind of naturally came together. So. Um, there was also an opportunity to cut in that shot, which we used when she comes in, when she crosses over the threshold from outside to inside, we changed takes there too. And, and they had done some pickups for that because it was easier than trying to get like this perfect master. So there's, there's some manipulation there, but the, the sort of glory of these, of these one is very musical. It has like, it tends to be to revolve a lot on the music that they want to do and this energy of, of the characters walking through a, an interesting space. I mean, that's sort of the, what motivates them. These poor camera ops who have to like jump over the table <laughs> and go under the car. <laughs> they're, working, 
yeah, they're working so hard. And also this season we had a lot more music, obviously. We had a lot of live music. We're on tour with Shy. So that generated original yeah. Original songs, yeah. Original songs and um, you know, we're in live musical numbers a lot. And so we want to use camera movement, cranes, dollies as much as possible to try to make that those sequences feel as kinetic as we possibly can. And and Amy especially is very specific about what shot she wants to be in when a certain part of the music is playing, when Shai is singing. Um, and we should also point out that episode one was edited this year by Andy Monsheen. So we had An Andy join us this season for episode one. That was such a big episode. While he was cutting that, filming continued and we jumped on, we were on episodes two and three and four and Andy was still working on one you mentioned the music I was fascinated that there's a lot of moments where you there's like a whole music scene of you know five minute song and the show's about Midge and her journey so how do you make sure like you have these big spectacle numbers but you still keep the focus on her and not on Shy, who these numbers are coming from those two things go together I think Shy needs to seem like a believable uh, superstar, right? Mm -hmm. That he, you know, that that one of the things that's difficult, I think, in any kind of medium is creating a fictional star. You know, there's something about real life performers and and musicians who, who they just have this sort of otherworldly quality, and and uh, not just the quality of their voice, their charisma, that you know, everything. We needed to see not just through the crazy audience reactions when he came on stage, but he himself had to be that way. So I think part of that was playing song to hear songs, to hear a song like, yeah, this is a hit. This is a hit. This is his hit song. You know, this is one less angel. Everybody knows the words. Like, <laughs> you know, and, and, and that needs to, you need to, and for, for to believe that he is a star, we need to see him perform and not just get out of there every time he mm -hmm. was opening for like the Rolling Stones and they, play, you know, you heard the first three bars of satisfaction and then we cut out of it that everyone knows who they are. Yeah. So here we're creating a fictional world where this guy is a superstar and has his own songs that no one's ever heard before. So like that's part mm -hmm. of it is, is to give the audience these songs to show the characters in the film enjoying them. Like Rose is drunk and she knows all the, you know, it's, it's all of those scenes, I think, feed into this, um, the excitement of her touring with this guy and just what a big deal it is for her. So I think that's, that's the big part of it. What would you say is the challenge that you faced this season in the editing room? While I, while I think about that, I was just going to add to what Tim said, which is that, <laughs> <laughs> that in terms of editing, I'm, you know, in terms of keeping, making sure that it's a show about Midge, I don't think we're ever in danger of losing her. Even if we take two or three or four minutes away from her story, um, and she's not even in the audience necessarily, there are a couple of couple of instances where she's not even she's not even watching shy sing anymore but the commitment to show a full performance either shy or sometimes even lenny bruce the full commitment that amy has to making sure that we believe that those are full characters in their own right and not just seen through midge's perspective i mm -hmm. think that's an important thing too and by giving it enough screen time we communicate that to the audience and then, of course, we're always going to come back to Midge. <laughs> so now I have to answer. Yeah. What is the greatest editing challenge? Um, I think the stand-up scenes are still the most challenging. 
throws shot with three cameras, several different distances away from the stage. And there's just so much material to go through. I just want to make sure we're always thorough and we're always exploring everything. And like in every scene, the continuity has to be perfect. It just takes a lot of time to go through all that. And then more musical numbers this year as well uh, means more footage and more time sifting through more options. And on a TV schedule, we have a bit of a luxurious TV schedule, but we're still on a TV schedule, not a feature schedule. So we do have to put it together quickly. And while we're doing dailies for one episode, we're also doing notes for the previous episode. So we're juggling sometimes three or four episodes in various stages of completion at the same time. For something like that, with like doing the live stand-up, you know, like I think about the Apollo scene and the Apollo is pretty well known for the relationship the audience has with the performers and letting them know in a situation like this because there is in that scene there is back and forth right where she's who's is this pulling out the food and sort of them making jokes and stuff back at her how did you approach that so it felt like it was i guess tense too because we don't know if they're going to like her when she first walks on but how did you cut that relationship one of the challenges of the show is that we need to show midge performing well and struggling right Mm -hmm. i mean there's i remember a few episodes into season one like three episodes in after she'd done a couple of stand-up bits i said to kate like we were talking in the office and i'm like she's got a bomb like one of these days she has to just really go in the toilet on one of these things because stand-up is hard it's really really hard and literally the next (laughs) script that came out was that episode where she just like just totally tanks at the gaslight Mm-hmm. And since then, I feel like the show has gone back and forth between showing her you know, struggle. There's often something that happens to her, like right before she goes on stage or she has to perform in front of people who are eating and not paying attention. Or, you know, in the case of the Apollo, like you said, like she comes out and that audience is, um, you know, we really spent a lot of time on the sound design because we didn't want them to be hostile necessarily, but we wanted them to be skeptical. Like, who is this? Literally, who is this? This is a joke, right? This, who is this little white girl who's kind of, kind of ventured out on stage here? And, uh, and she has to win them over. And that, you know, a lot of that comes from Rachel, from her performance, which is just, she, she is extraordinary in, in, in the stand-up scenes. Um, you know, there's often, as Kate was saying, they shoot it from, there's a lot of coverage, there's a lot, um, going on and she is just in there all the time hits the beats so well but still gives you some variation to sort of calibrate and and deal with you know how Mm -hmm. what sort of emotional journey she's taking there so those scenes are challenging and the apollo it was a lot of work with an actual crowd that they had there that they recorded they had i don't know maybe 50 to 50 to 100 extras i think that they moved around and then tiled using vfx to fill the audience but that crowd reacted. They had takes where the crowd reacted. And so we had production audio from that. And then we also did tons of, of uh, loop group, Ron Bocar and our sound team did um, a lot of work, just sort of getting very specific call outs. Some people are jeering, some people are laughing and just kind of, and eventually they all sort of are on her side. So that was a, it, that, that came a lot through sound design. Yeah, and building a sound world for every single standup is, uh, definitely another of the biggest challenges that that we have. When we're working with Amy and Dan, 
we're not done with the scene until the sound design is very close to what we'll hear in the final. Ron Bokar and his team bring in a loop group and um, like Tim said, make all these specific call outs and generates everything authentically. But we need to temp it so that the picture works. And convincing Amy and Dan that that's going to work eventually takes, I, I would say, so the sound design takes just as much time as cutting the picture together. Um, and in the case of the Apollo, in the wide shots, we didn't have any audience members. We knew that that would be added uh, after with VFX. So, you know, it was only sound that was driving the story. Now, uh, Tim, what was the, what would you say was the most challenging part of the season? Well, yeah, I mean, in part, I agree, I agree with Katie, it was a stand-up, it was figuring out the variety of stand-up performances she had, the good and the bad. There was a sequence in episode seven, at the beginning of episode seven, where she was doing a bunch of radio ads. Um, we had to figure out musically what was going on there and make that whole thing really run together fluidly and and uh, pacey and that that was challenging but a lot of fun uh the apollo stuff was 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 hard to do i mean they shot so much in like two days they shot like all these different acts and and um you know it was challenging kind of building this night for midge and and making really making the apollo come come to life i mean that's the biggest venue she played it has a lot of history to it she is definitely a fish out of water you know in that whole sequence and really feeling that um even in the scenes backstage you know the scenes the scene with moms and the scene with shy and you know all that stuff is that she's in a she's in a different world and it's a long night there are a lot of performances yeah. it starts out with a long tap dance with those two kids who are yeah. terrific we've got midge's stand-up and then we've got uh, our mom's maybe then we've got midge and then we've got um shy performing but even before that there's a dance performance that's just stunning and so it, it, you know, it was a lot, it was a lot to shoot, I think just in two days and um, a lot of dailies to go through. In terms of Midge's delivery and how it's, you know, well known for being so fast, um, how does that affect you in from a pacing perspective when you're trying to build tension and have a slow moment or something and she's going really fast and the opposite of what you need in a sense? There's a natural pace to, you can hear it when we go to the table reads, which the entire crew is invited to our table reads, which is really uh, exciting because we get to hear the cast sort of read through the scripts and they're written in such a way that you feel the pace in, in the writing. But then there are moments where we need to sort of put on the brakes and create, you know, an emotional moment, an awkward moment, something that is, um, you know, by, by, releasing that that kind of pace that the show has become known for if done well it can make the audience really kind of hang on that on that moment and and, and you know try to engage in that moment in a different way it's there's an, there are emotional moments on the show in this episode you know midge is confronted by benjamin who she she left uh abruptly at the end of last season everyone was kind of waiting to see benjamin come back and then here he is and he's got a very big grievance <laughs> with her that, that, you know, we have to sort of very uncomfortably listen. That scene is awkward and it's, it's, you know, she gets so emotional in that moment because she just hadn't been dealing with what she, what the consequences of, of that action she took last season were until this, that moment in the, in, um, in the diner. And so I think, you know, you can earn those, those slower moments if, if, uh, if the writing kind of calls for it. 
and if the actors kind of deliver in, in a way that yeah stay in the attention now you mentioned getting to go to the table reads you know what did you take away from that that other editors if they ever get that chance should utilize for when they get into post well we've been to i mean we, we go to table reads and other on other shows it's always interesting to me how they change the script after the table reads there's always a rewrite or not a full rewrite but you know there's always a new draft that comes out after the table read and it's always interesting to see what they've changed based on how something read i mean maybe those changes were going to happen anyway i'm not uh totally on the inside with how the writer's room is is going that's always very interesting to me you know just seeing how the actors how they kind of choose to play it in the moment there and then what they what ends up happening when we get dailies because that's usually when the director has sort of given them direction they're not directed at the table read they're just sort of reading through it and their own interpretation of it yeah i feel like oh it's also a chance for me to it's it's another chance for me to get to learn the script really well um, best way to learn the script and I can see you know for 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 a long scene and there are a lot of long scenes in Mrs. Maisel um, especially in episode eight the finale that I can see how many beats there are and how many emotional beats and I'm and I'm trying almost to kind of gauge a rhythm in my head of okay fast 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 joke and then oh slow down for that so the second half you know really needs to play a lot differently and I'll just sort of get an advance on that so that when I'm watching dailies, I'll I'll have a little bit more information of what I'm looking for or what I'm expecting. And if that meets my expectations or if it doesn't, then that's just more information that helps me when I'm first putting it together. Now, I have one last question that I'd like to ask everyone I interview, and that's what would you say is your favorite guilty pleasure film to watch? <laughs> okay, I, I know what mine is. It's guilty pleasure. I just want to clarify the terms of this question. The is that imply that the film is bad? Not necessarily. Or, or is generally I, considered bad? Like maybe there's a controversial sort of opinion. No, I, I so I always say to people that think of it as uh, it's Sunday afternoon and you're just flipping through the channels and it's on and it's a movie you would never normally watch, but you're like ah whatever and you keep watching it. Well, I'm just gonna say what my answer was. Man, I fit into exactly that pattern but it's groundhog day oh it's a good one and i and i really do love it like mm-hmm. i actually think it's great and um i like to watch it once every couple of years i think it's got a lot to say and it's it's uh it's easy to watch so maybe that's why it's a guilty pleasure yeah but I stand yeah. By it. <laughs> that's a really that's a tricky one for me i mean i suppose um it, it would probably either be Buckaroo Banzai uh, or uh, Big Trouble in Little China, okay. which are movies you know that I just loved so much when I was about thirteen. That there's so much nostalgia like baked into those. Like, yeah. they're not my favorite movies, but they just are. I have such an emotional like. I just ran that VHS tape like over and over, <laughs> and over until it like was worn out. You know, there are definitely films that. I will never turn off, but if I saw those, I'd be very excited. First yeah. of all, they were on TV. That would be insane. They're never, that, that <laughs> yeah. they're both kind of cult films, but like, yeah, those are probably my guilty pleasures. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for letting me interview. Sure. Thank you. So that was my interview with Kate and Tim. I'd like to thank Kate and Tim for allowing me to interview them. I'd also like to thank the team over at Marvelous Mrs. Maisel for getting in touch. This episode was edited by Evan Winch. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.